This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Good morning, and I hope you are having a cracking Saturday. Welcome to Motor Mania. My name is Damien Reed, and uh, we've got lots to come to you on the show today. A question that I'm asking is that I just recently got behind the wheel of the new Ford Bronco. It's a retro-style car. It's going to be getting a lot of attention. And I'd like to ask you... What sort of car would you like to see remade from the past? Something that, that, that you reminded you of your childhood, perhaps? I'll also tell you about the other new cars that I've been driving, including the electric vehicle that won the World Car of the Year and the world debut of a new Lexus SUV right here in Dubai. I'm looking at what's under the bonnet, so to speak, with Intersan Giado. We're dissecting all the car news and stories that's making headlines, and we've got a bit of motorsport coming too, with news of a historic Grand Prix for priceless F1 and Le Mans cars to mark a very special anniversary, and and how you can enter the world's toughest race, the Dakar, even if you're a novice. Yes, we'll be chatting to Bert Groger from the Dubai Autodrome and also Tom Cowan at South Racing Middle East about all of that. And, of course, we've got loads of car advice with car guru Matthew Davison on Fix It or Flip It. Fix It or Flip It. So here's how it works. Tell us about your car and we will tell you how much it's worth and if it's worth keeping or perhaps even worth selling. So what we need, we need the car manufacturer, the model, the year, the colour and mileage and any other relevant details. So I'm joining now by Matthew Davison, the head of pricing at uh, Algo Driven and uh, he's with us until 11am. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Damien. How are you? Very good, my friend. Very good, friend. So uh, what have you been up to this time? I, I heard that you've actually, someone told me that you've been uh, restoring your supercar. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to start. We've, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. So I'm actually coming to you live from the Intercontinental Hotel in Alaka, north of Fajera. Uh, I'm actually over here for the weekend with Supercars Majlis. We, uh, we did a drive through one of my favorite roads in the UAE, the Khan Road. You come through those five tunnels, drive through the mountains. It's really spectacular. I, d- I don't know if you've done that road yet, the Khan Road. I did it uh, I did it about six weeks ago, and I have to say, my goodness, it's I love it, absolutely. I was disappointed to, to when the other road disappeared that went through a few tunnels, but uh, this one, oh, it's, it's a beautiful road, isn't it? Yeah, this this the UAE is underrated for driving roads. I mean, you've got Jebel Jace, which is obviously the famous one, but Jebel Hafid, um, the Kasab Coastal Road, which is basically the northern part of Ras Al Khaimah, all the way up uh, to the tip of the UAE. That is spectacular. It reminds me of doing a PH1 um, in California, Pacific Coast Highway, and um, similar to the Great Ocean Road in in southern Australia. But, yeah, we drove all the supercars over yesterday. Uh, the, the guys at Intercontinental and Nadim and everyone, they just are spectacular here, giving us five-star treatment. Um, we came over with Emirat and Pirelli. And I must shout out to Emirat because every time we go into any fuel station, Emirat fuel station across the UE, they always make you feel special, whether you're inside or outside the car. I don't know how they do it, but the staff, thank you so much for always taking care of us at Emirat fuel stations. But we, uh, we did a, um, a great drive, today and we'll be driving back later today, but um, car restoration was to talk about. But the topic is, is, is not really uh, car restoration as people think about it, because people think of car restoration as taking a, an old car, like a 30-year-old car, and restoring it. 
where mm. what's happening a lot lately is people are actually taking cars that are seven, eight years old and bringing them absolutely back to, to factory showroom condition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, it, it got me got me thinking, you know, but also now manufacturers are starting to, well, not starting to, they're well and truly into the trend of, of rebirthing old cars. I mean, this Bronco I drove, you wouldn't believe the number of people, who, complete strangers who came up and, well, I can't say that high five, but more fist pump in, in this day. Um, but, you know, you're looking at cars like the, the Chevrolet Camaro, the, the, the Nissan 400Z, um, Dodge did it with the Charger, you know, many, many years ago. Um, it seems to be the way things are going now. Yeah, I mean, I'm in love with the Bronco. Just the modification of it, the fact that you can, obviously it's got the two and the four door version, but you can take the doors off. You can take the roof off. You can customize it yeah. pretty much how you want it. I, I think that car is going to be a huge hit here in, in the UAE. I think, it's, I think it's a beautiful rebirthing of a classic, classic car. Um, I'd like to see the uh land cruiser tj comeback I, I always felt the the tj was such an iconic look and if anybody from toyota is listening please rebirth the tj um <laughs> and if, if i want to really show my age i would love the jensen interceptor to come back because i think that's the car that really was so far ahead of its time i love it four yeah. wheel four wheel drive i mean ac everything back in the 60s was just <laughs> It was just crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, someone has actually done the Interceptor, and there is one here in Dubai that I, I understand there is um, that's been uh, resto modded. There's a company in the UK that's been doing it. So uh, your wish has been granted if you've got, uh, if you've got enough cash. <laughs> so look, 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 I don't know about the cash. Side, <laughs> what, me and you need to grab a coffee and go and explore this car because that would be, that would be a real treat. But um, – well, what, what, what I've been doing is basically I took my car, I, I took it to a company called Auto Mystique uh, Car Company, AMCC for short. Yep. And what they did is they basically took my car and they sent me lots of videos and pictures and said, Matthew, here's all the things that's wrong with it. The carbon fiber is yellowing and, and bubbling from the heat near the, near the engine bay. You've got all these scratches and marks all over the car. And it really shocked me because I thought I knew my car really well. And these guys kind of unveiled a whole heap of, of things that were, were wrong with it. And, and they said, look, we can bring this car back to brand new. And I said, well, look, I've decided to keep it. It's a 2014 McLaren 12C, and I want to keep it for at least a couple more years. I feel it's becoming a bit, bit of a classic. And uh, I picked it up this week, and the guys, I'm telling you, restored it literally to factory condition. It looked a completely different car. And I was chatting to the guys at AMCC, and they said, this is a big thing at the moment. People aren't restoring 20, 30-year-old cars. They're bringing in cars that are, say, six, seven, eight years old, and they're bringing them back to showroom condition. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the way it's going. And uh, so, yeah, again, I, I put it out there to anyone. Text us at 4001. Call us on 04871 What car would you like to see being brought back as a modern day? But also, as we're now with Fix It or Flip It, uh, give, us a, give us a call. And, and uh, if you've got a car to, to sell or a car that perhaps uh, you want, you're looking at buying or you just want to value in your car, Give us a call on those numbers, 04871 We do prioritise callers. And if you can't get through, give us a, give us a call on the, um, the ARN Play app or SMS us on 4001. We're going to go straight now uh, to uh, a caller who, who got in early before the show, and uh, this is Ayush. Hi, Damien. 
I have a red Chevrolet Cruze top of the line 2016 model. It's done about 71,000 kilometers. I'm looking to replace it with the new GR86. Uh, I was wondering realistically how much I would receive for the car. It's got a few dents but nothing major and everything's in perfect working condition. It's been agency maintained as well. So there you go, Matthew. What do you, what do you, what do you make of this one? Yeah, the crews are very popular. It's, it's a nice sedan, um, and it's, it, it always is great for, for driving up and down the highway. If, you, if you've got that type of job where you need to do kilometers, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good all-round car, and you can pick that car up for, I would say, 28 to 30K. That's how much that car is going to sell for. So um, he'll okay. do well, and he can put that money into his next car for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We've got a text message too in. Uh, it's an interesting one. Hi, guys. I have a sky blue Lamborghini Gallardo Spider, 2007. It's got 35,000 kilometer mileage uh, and uh, looking for ideas on values. Did you say 2007? 2007 with 35,000 kilometers. Yeah, I've, I'm seeing less and less Gallardos around now. Mm. Um, I, I think this is mainly because the early ones that come here, a lot of them got actually exported back out of the country. Um, if you are looking to buy one, I'd probably say go for the, the later model ones. But that car, I would, I would say around 280, 300. Um, it wouldn't sell for much more being the 7. Uh, I know you can pick up a 2010 with very very little kilometers on for around 450 so yeah i would say late 200s maybe maybe even 300k yeah you're right I mean, we we used to see quite a lot of them around the around the place but uh they've they've started a little bit like to be honest like the ferrari f430 um you don't see many of those around anymore no and they're a beautiful car and uh, i think you're going to see the same thing happen actually with a 458 yeah. Uh, obviously, discounting the Speciale, which, of course, is, is the hottest ticket. Um, but I think the 458's being naturally aspirated. When the 488 came, still an amazing car, but turbocharged. I think you're going to see the 458 slowly, slowly leave the region as uh, other, other regions around the world snap them up. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We've got a few text messages coming in, and uh, we have uh, Anulfo. He has a um, FJ Cruiser. We were just talking about the, the Toyotas. Black. It's a 2015 model. It's done 192,000 kilometres. Uh, it's done lots of road trips, he says, but it's miraculously, it's unscathed. How much do you think that he could get for this one? Oh, such a sought-after car. As you know, they just, they're just not uh, made anymore, and everybody wants them. Um, even a 15 with those sort of kilometers, um, I don't know if it's a GXR or, or, or the top of the range VXR, but I, I presume it's a GXR. He'll still get 80K for that car, even yeah. at a 15 with those kilometers, maybe even 85. I'd certainly start putting it on the market for 85 and, and see, see how many calls you get. But that's a sought after car, particularly in black. Absolutely, and they're getting a lot of interest out of uh, um, you know people. Who, I mean, they're, they're so again, it's a little bit like the Bronco kind of situation where you can plug and play. You can you can modify them and do so many different things to them. Yeah, do you remember the Arctic Truck version of it? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, that 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 partnership. Well, they actually did. They did a a few of the cars, didn't they? Did the the Land Cruisers and the FJ Cruisers. But if you could, if you could find uh, an Arctic Trucks version, yeah, that would go quite well. But <laughs> Anyone looking for an FJ Cruiser, the later model year you can buy it. There is, there are 18, 19s around. If you can pick one of those up, I think you could drive that for two years and not lose any money. Yeah, 
Yeah, we've got another message here from uh, along similar lines here from Riaz. Um, might need a bit, bit more information, to be honest. Um, hi, guys. I'm thinking of buying a Jeep Wrangler. Which one would you suggest? That's a pretty blank canvas to <laughs> consider yeah, how many yeah. options mean, of Wranglers uh, you can get. I, I This is my uh, wheelhouse. I know Wranglers so well. So, I mean, you've got the new JL, um, which came out couple of years ago now but before that the jk when the jk came out that was 2012 it was the pentastar engine yeah um, so it went to the 3.6 v6 nice and torquey really great engine so i'd probably stick in that range 2012 to 2018 um then you've got two or four door uh, the the unlimited um so if you went for the standard two door they start as a sport and then they go up through the different trim levels but if you went for a two-door sport, I think that they're still holding their value really well. But if you went for something like a 2015 with average kilometers, you'd be paying today around 65, 70K. Yeah, very good. Uh, on the line, we've got uh, Riyad. Haven't got any information from you, Riyad. What, what have you got for us this morning? Uh, I, I was actually looking to buy a new Jeep Wrangler. And uh, I wasn't sure which one I should buy. So I went to the showroom and they said that they have the sport version, the the Sahara one and the Rubicon. So the Rubicon for me is a bit too expensive, but I was contemplating between the sport or the Sahara one. Ah, uh, there you go. I think that was your, your text message we just got as well. Um, so, yeah, Matthew, uh, yeah, we're just talking about this. So that, yeah, that so, gives you a little bit so, more information. Yeah, so really, look, if you're looking at the JL, the Rubicon's going to be, yeah, very, very expensive. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it comes basically modified, doesn't it? Higher, sus- higher suspension, everything. But um, out of the, the small fabric interior, R is going to give you that level of luxury. It's going to give you the leather seats, etc. So, look, if you, if you want comfort over, over, uh, over form, but if you just want to get out there and enjoy it, the Sport's perfectly fine. Um, and you can always, if you find the standard wheels a, a, a bit bland, that's the, the yeah. area that you could probably change the car the most by swapping out the wheels for something uh, a little bit more um, larger and a little bit more desirable. I think the wheels is the best modification you can do on the Wrangler. So there you go, Riyad. What, what, how do you think of that? Yeah, no, I agree with him. Actually, I was not looking to, to go off-road, off-roading with this. I was just looking for uh, basically a, a car that I can go to other city with. So I wasn't sure, you know, because I wasn't sure. Maybe I think that the sport version will do that. Brilliant, brilliant. And brilliant. Thank you. Great. Th- thanks very much, Riyad. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, you're listening to Motormania with me, Damien Reed. And I'm still asking, which old classic would you like would you like to see remade as a new car? Now I've driven the Ford Bronco. It was revived from decades ago. Meanwhile, it's back to Fix It or Flip It. With Matthew Davison. And again, just a reminder, this, this is how it works. Tell us about your car and we will tell you how much it's worth. If it's worth selling or keeping, we need to know the, uh, the, the manufacturer, the model year, the colour, the mileage and any other relevant details. Um, Matthew's with us until 11am. And so, uh, Matthew, um, we've got you on the line there. We've got uh, uh, another call here from the call in earlier on. It's uh, Roger. Morning, lads. I'm looking at getting rid of my Mitsubishi Montero Sport. It's a 2017 base model, so it's the GLX, and it's got nearly 100,000 kilometres on. Probably by the time I sell it, it'll have 100,000 on the clock. So what sort of value do you think I should be looking for it? And I'm looking at replacing it with, I'd like to get an electric or a hybrid. 
So what do you think around that sort of size of vehicle? Um, what would you recommend I should be looking at as either an electric or a hybrid? Cheers, lads. So there you go, Matthew. Yeah. Um, Montero, 2017, 111,000 kilometres. Yeah, kilometres are getting up there. I think he said he was going to cross 100,000 soon. If you can, Rob, I'd try your best to, to get it up for sale before it crosses it. It's just such a psychological number. I mean, even if it's sat on 99,000 something, uh, it will help you. I think that car is around 50, 55,000. Um, and I think you'll sell, sell it quite well. I mean, I, I always looked at the the Montero as the organic replacement for the Pajero. I kind of looked at Mitsubishi and thought, are you trying to condition us for the future here? <laughs> um, but uh, in, in answer to his question about the electric and hybrid, I mean, you, you might have uh, a little bit more uh, thoughts on it than I do because that's kind of your wheelhouse. But I mean, it depends on budget, doesn't it? Because if, you, if you're yeah. getting out of that car for 50, 55, how much more have you got to put towards um, because you can, you can go all the way to the Tesla Model X, can't you? I mean, you know, where do you draw the line? Absolutely, and he's put a 500 uh, deposit down on a, on a Cybertruck too from Tesla uh, to get on the waiting list, but uh, that's not going to be available anytime soon. So, uh, And I agree with him. It's not going to be available for a long time yet. No, and, they, and they're pushing back everything, even, even the Roadster. I mean, I know I've got plenty of friends that have got deposits on both, um, and – you know, I think half of the people with deposits as well will be looking to flip the car before they even uh, press the start button because there's no turning and ignition with these cars. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, all about economies of scale. Um, Elon Musk is, is not saying it, but he wants to get out the Model Ys, the Model 3s in volume. He knows that um, a few Cybertrucks are going to give him a headache as well as the, the Roadster, and they're not going to bring the, the turnover that they're – the Tesla shareholders really need. Yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, on the line, we've got Mohammed. Now, he's looking for advice on a car to buy. He's looking at uh, options between Kia or uh, a Honda Accord, I believe, Mohammed. Yes, hi. Um, I'm looking at the Kia K5 2022 and the Honda Accord uh, 2021 1.5T. So I've not been hearing great things about the Accord 1.5T. Is it not a great car or uh, from a from a, from a, a ownership perspective, um, and and what it does on the tin, I think it's I think it's fine. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Matthew? Oh, well, the, look, the Honda Accord is is Mister Safe, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's reliable. It's going to you know even when that warranty runs out, it's going to continue to run and run, and it's going to be economical to service, and and it will hold its value in the future. But the the interesting topic is the Kia K five. Um, I read about this car a couple of months ago. It's basically a, a sedan, um, which is supposed supposed to start competing with a BMW 3 Series. I think it's 2-litre and 2.5-litre options, with, with the latter producing close to 300 brake horsepower. They claim it's it's quicker to the 60 Sprint than the BMW 330. So, um, yeah, some, some impressive talking from Kia, but um, I'm sure, Damien, you want to get behind the wheel and actually test this and, and give an opinion, which I presume will, will be coming in, in the next 12 months. Looking forward to it. Kia producing some really, really good stuff at the moment and uh, great design, great engineering. Looking forward to getting into that one. Um, how does that sound, Mohammed? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the Kia, of course, because it's a nicer car. It's got more tech. It's newer. You know, Honda looks a bit dated, but again, as I said, the Honda is more reliable, of course, you know, when it comes to long term. And everybody swears by Honda. It's like Honda all the way, right? So I don't know. I'm still like, you know, in the thinking uh, stage of it. But 
Yeah. Read it into us here, of course. Yeah, Honda are traditionally safe, um, but uh, yeah, never never turn your back on the Koreans. They're building some really good stuff. No, no, and I and I would definitely say it's very easy to if you want to go safe Honda, if you want excitement, the Kia all the way. Yeah, thanks thanks very much, Mohammed. Um, and we're getting text messages coming through now. We have uh, Bob who says I have a 2001 Defender 110, no modifications, 130k's, and it's in grey. Looking for evaluation. Yeah, one of those cars that when when they announced they were going to stop making the Defender, everybody rushed out and bought them and they pushed the residual values really high on these cars. Uh, And then obviously Land Rover did the U-turn and went, oh, here's a new Defender. (laughs) But in in fairness, in fairness, I've said this before, I think it's more, it just feels more of a a family uh, oriented car and and it's it's more of an organic replacement for the LR4 for me. Um, but the uh, the values in in the defenders have dropped since that hype. But I, I'd say this one would still be around a hundred thousand. Yeah. I, I mean, you're not going to get many on the market, so you can test it. You could even put it at 125. But I, I think my my gut tells me if this changes hands, it's going to be around 100k. Yeah, yeah. And I think probably not a, not not bad buying at 100k either. That's a fair price. Yeah, well, they're, they're just they're, they're going to continue to be iconic, aren't they? They're not, they're not That's never going to change. That that model that model is sunset now. That and and the ones that are out there in good condition will will hold their value for sure. Yeah, uh, Abdul's uh, sent a message in. He has a 2018 Audi Q7 Quattro, the luxury edition, forty two thousand kilometers. It's black. It's still under warranty with the agency. No accidents and in excellent condition. Yeah, beautiful car, um, uh, seven-seat car that can move your family around uh, in luxury. You're looking just over 200K for that car, maybe around 215. Yeah. Um, but it, it will sell well. There's, you know, We know there's a continued shortage of, of good-used cars in the market, and uh, these are being snapped up by families at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and again, Mr. Reliable, a bit, a bit like the Honda in terms of Q7 for, for an SUV. Uh, we've got Roger who's, uh, who's dropped in. He says he has a, uh, a Land Rover LR2, 2009, 200,000 kilometres, pretty well maintained, looking to buy a newer car. Wanted to know how much he could, uh, he could sell it for, the LR2, what 2009. The, what were the kilometres? 200,000. Yeah, I mean, these cars, they're, they're not, uh, what is it now, 12 years old, and they're not massively reliable when they get to that level if it is running really well and there's no problems i would say probably 23 24000 if yeah. it's got some some issues it, it could be dropping into the teens for sure yeah. um but these cars are not worth too much now yeah and just very quickly uh here's one that will always sell a two door silver parada this is jennifer 135000 kilometers 2015 model what do you think the value would be if you wanted to sell it it's in very good condition and what do you think uh that uh, an upgrade would be? Uh, I mean, again, she doesn't mention if it's GXR or, or VXR, so I, I tend to steer towards GXR if that's the case. But these, these are holding their value so, so much. It, yeah. it will be around 100K. It will, it will, be, it will be around 100,000 dirhams still. Um, they're, they're just always the car that everyone seems to rush to, and there's still uh, very few on the market. Brilliant. This is Fix It or Flip It. You're listening to Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, you're listening to Motormania with me, Damien Reed, and this hour is all about... Fix It or Flip It. 
with Matthew Davison. And again, just a reminder, this is how it works. Tell us about your car and we will tell you how much it's worth, if it's worth keeping or if it's worth selling, or if you're just curious to know how much your car is worth sitting in the driveway. Don't forget, give us as much details as you can. The car manufacturer, the model, the year, the mileage, even the colour, that helps us too. All other relevant details. Matthew's with us for another half hour till 11am. Matthew, we have another a Land Cruiser here. It's a Toyota Land Cruiser Extreme 2018, a white GXR. Leather sunroof, 190,000 kilometres, clean apart from one small scratch on the bumper. What would be the value? This is from David. Yeah, that's a lot of kilometres, but Toyota Land Cruisers are one of, the, one of the cars that you can actually get away with it. You can actually get away with those type of kilometres. I think that car could be anything between 140 and 150. Um, I would probably start it out at late 140s, at 149 online and, and, and see what people say. But... Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that car will still sell, but around one forty to one fifty. Yeah, we have uh, a Birage. I hope I got that name correct on the line. A Birage has a Kia Optima, a twenty fifteen model SX, full options with carbon fibre rear skirts, no accident history, and excellent condition. Uh, a Birage, I believe, is one hundred and seventy thousand kilometres on that, and you're looking to see what it would be worth. That's right. Yeah. So, how long, how long have you owned the uh, the Kia for a Birage? Yeah, I've been, uh, well, it's come to me uh, on the second hand, so I'm the second user, and um, been having it for about three years. Okay, Matthew, what do you, what do you think about that? Kia, Kia Optimus, again, Koreans are pretty pretty, uh, pretty reliable in terms of value. They are, they are. What was the kilometres, Damien? Uh, 170,000, that, that's correct, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's getting up there. I, I would say early 30s, something like, 31 32 for a 15 optima with those type of kilometers um it would look nice with the carbon fiber on, on the back as well um what are you thinking of getting as a replacement well i'm looking at one of the newer kias to be honest so i just want to know like would it be a wise decision to go uh, for a replacement for the newer ones i think the k5 uh look pretty uh, uh neat with the body uh that's what i was look- considering actually yeah, I mean, uh, we, we've turned into Kia's sales uh, team this morning, um, but the, the K5 is a good is a good um, car. And if you're listening, Kia, coffee for me and Damien, please. Um, but yeah, it's all joking aside, it's it's a great option. And um, you know, for people that don't know what the K5 looks like, obviously it's a brand new car. So Google it. It's 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 a, a sedan that's out there to take on the likes of of the BMW 3 Series, Mercedes E Class, etc. But it, it, it is a beautiful car, and being Korean, these guys love their tech, and it's full of it. What do you, what do you think, Abraj? Does, uh, does that answer your questions? Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, it sounds convincing enough, I guess. Uh, but uh, it's a good one, because uh, Kia is always preferable to me for their designs that come out as compared with their competition, uh, who's usually, usually stale and stagnant with it. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with that answer. Fantastic. Well, I hope that's answered your question. On the line now, we've also got Ali, who has a Mazda CX-9 2016 model, and it's been well-maintained. He is the second over. Good morning, Ali. Are you looking to get a value? Are you looking to sell the car? Yeah. Hi, good morning. This is what I'm looking for. Are you looking to buy this this car? Is that right? No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. I said I want to sell it. Looking looking to sell. Okay. So it's 2016 Mazda CX-9, Matthew. What uh, kilometers does uh, she have, Ali? 84,000, I think Sorry. that's right. 84,000, and agency maintained throughout. 
Yeah, these are desirable seven-seat cars, but they're compact enough that they're practical to get around in and out of the malls, etc. I think this car is probably late 50s. Something like 58 to 60,000 would be the value. Um, but they'll sell that, that car will sell pretty quick because CX-9s, uh, I was chatting to somebody a couple of weeks ago about how little inventory is in the market for these uh, uh, CX-9s, especially the ones that were, were, were the last five years, so 2016 onwards. So I think it will sell very quickly, but put it on for late 50s. All righty. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. There you go. Uh, Dave has also texted us in Porsche 911, Targa 4 GTS, 2015 black, one accident back in 2017, all sorted and good as new. Oh, I love the honesty. Um, <laughs> to, anyone li- to anyone listening, always be very transparent when you're selling a car because um, it won't affect you selling it as much as you think. Um, but what happens with... with about what's what's the car history etc so somebody gets right to the finish line does a bit of due diligence and then they they don't trust you anymore but if you get it out in the open i mean that that target is is so desirable a 15 target um there just isn't any around and they're holding their value like crazy i think this car is is into the 300 something like 315 320 Mm. um because there just won't be any in the market and and uh don't don't worry about that, that small accident because that's just transparency. But that that car will sell and it will sell quickly. Remember the good weather's here now as well. Absolutely. Now also we've got on the line we've got T. He has a Ford F one fifty LXT with twenty thousand kilometres, two thousand and nineteen model. Uh, I think that's right, T. How, how does that? That's what you've got there to sell. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So it's a F one fifty. What's what's the what's it powered by? What's you what's under the hood? No, it's a V8. Okay, uh, LXT, Matthew. Pretty much you're always in demand, the, F, the F-Series. Yeah, they are. And um, is it a GCC car or an import? No, it's a GCC car. I bought it here in, um, at um, Altair Motors. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I think these trucks are uh, always a big hit here and, and a lot of people are chasing them. There's, there's a few that have, have popped up that have come in that have, that have been imported that have disrupted the price a bit, which is why I asked the question. But, um, you know, you're looking probably around that 135, 140 mark. Oh, cool. All right. There you go. I hope, cool. hope, that, uh, hope that helps. Um, uh-huh. Thanks very much, uh, T. Another uh, text message in. This is another nice one. Uh, a BMW E39 M5. Full service history, 61,000 kilometers, GCC, single owner, and it's silver. This is from Sam. Oh, Sam, you're going back a few years now, but it's an E39. <laughs> um, the problem is that there just won't be any for sale. I, I can tell you that now. You could, yeah. you could waste your time going online and you won't find any for sale. And I keep saying this all the time. It, it's, it's what's, if somebody is looking for that car, then it's, it's you versus them, Sam. Um, I mean, if it's in really great condition, that is going to be the differentiator. Because, I mean, the price swing between one in average condition, I mean, you could still probably ask 80,000, 90,000 for um, and you could ask well, 130, 140. I mean, it's it's um, it's one of those crazy swings because of the age of the car and the, the desirability, but not knowing the condition. Uh, and and presume it's average condition. I'll be more like that eighty ninety. If it's in exceptional condition, could be up at one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty. 
Yeah, that that sounds pretty good. Um, personally, I like them. I think they're really good. Uh, we've got Austin on the phone. Austin has a 2014 Land Rover LR4, about 105,000 kilometres and still under warranty. Should he keep it or sell it? Austin, uh, do you have something in mind, Austin, if you decide to sell it or are you just looking to think, okay, I might be able to, if the, if the price is right, I'll hang on to it? Yeah, I mean, if the price is right, hang on to it. But, of course, um, just wanted to know about the reliability factor uh, of the car um, uh, about that, that age. It's still under warranty, always serviced at the agency, and, and I think it's got a brand-new engine as well as of the last two years. So just just a perspective on that. Yeah, I've got, I've got a few questions for you. Uh, is it the V6 or the V8? Uh, it's the V6. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's the, the V8 it's is, is... LR4 2014. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot it'll be a lot more desirable if it was the V8. Having said that, if it's under warranty, it's got to literally be at the very end of its warranty because Altea will go to seven years. So I imagine what warranty it has is is it's about to expire. But in terms of the fact that you said it's had an engine replacement, there must have been something that went wrong and they've swapped that out under warranty. The main thing outside of the engine that's going to go wrong is the suspension. But there's more and more garages, and I'm talking about outside of the agency now, that will do replacement um, suspension for these cars. And they'll, they'll, they'll swap it out for about anything between 8 to, to 12K, depending on who you go to, um, and, and good aftermarket parts. So you've got to look at it like this. I've got a new engine. If the bodywork and the interior is still good, um, the worst case scenario, you might have a 8 to 12K bill in the future for suspension outside of the normal servicing and tires and everything you need to do so i would say hang on to it because it you know what else are you going to buy that's that luxurious that moves seven seven people around that can do some mild off-roading and go down to the beach etc so yeah i think we've kind of answered your question for you fantastic Th- thank you very much just one quick one as well i've also got a jaguar xk 2015 fairly low mileage about sixty-six thousand kilometers on it uh, drives very well. I love the car, but um, just wanted to your perspective on just you know what you think about it in terms of reliability. Is it should you sell it because it's actually not reliable after a particular age? Um, again, perspective on that, please. Yeah, look, the the XKs they they get expensive. Um, the older they get, you're probably at that limit now, where I, I think selling it now would be very wise. Because they, they, they tend to cost you money each, each year as you go along um, and not small money as well. Because as all of those parts start to age, you start replacing some parts and they, they become brand new. But then the other stuff keeps getting older and older and older. And it's just you'll just end up throwing money, money, money into it. I mean, I think you, you said it's a 15, yeah? That's correct. So it's a yeah, so I mean... It'll be it'll be hanging on to probably a value of around 140, maybe 145. Depends on the kilometers. Um, but the, uh, the 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 tip from me is to sell it now because I think every year from now on is going to get quite expensive for you. Thank you. Great. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that answers your question, Austin. That was wonderful. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much. This is Fix It or Flip It with Matthew Davison. And, of course, you're listening to Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, we're with you for a little bit longer now. This is Motormania with me, Damien Reed, And uh, this hour is all about, of course, a bit of... 
Fix it or flip it. With Matthew Davison, and uh, we've got the speed quote coming up in uh, in just a, a few moments' time. And uh, we've got now straight away, we're going straight on the line now. Hamid is on the phone. And, uh, and Hamid, you have a 2018 Toyota Land Cruiser. Yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. Morning. Morning. Yeah, uh, 2018 uh, Land Cruiser, 55,000K, full service history. Just had the extended uh, service package put on it and pretty much immaculate condition. It's the GXR V8. Yeah, and it's, I believe, you, yeah, you say you got the extended service package. That helps, Matthew? Yeah, and, and I think that is probably something you really need to, to push when you're selling this car. Um, because the servicing, particularly as, as the kilometers get up, gets much more expensive. And what you've effectively done is you've paid for the servicing in advance. And you kind of need that money back when you sell the car. I would probably put this car out on the market for about 169. Um, I think it will sell anything between 160 and, and 165. But you've you've got um, to have a little bit of, of patience. Don't jump with the first person that runs in and offers you 150. I, I think you're going to sell it for a little bit more. As I said, um, 160, 165 advertising price, maybe 169. Good. How- good. Bye. Brilliant. That that That's sounds good. that sounds great. Thanks very much, Hamid. Uh, another another yeah. one uh, on the text is a 2016 Hyundai Villastar, 1.6 litre green. It's done 52,600 kilometres. Looking for a quick sell. Where can I advertise? And this is from Borge. Well, uh, when you sell your car, you, you've got to try and target the end users because um, you know if you, once you put it out in the public domain, you're going to get a lot of we buy your car type companies and dealers and everybody calling you up to try and buy it a lot cheaper. So I would start by friends and family route. Let everybody know where you work and all your friends and everything that the cars for sale. Very underrated uh, place to start advertising your car because maybe, um, you know, that you've got some admirers for your car. And also where you live, um, as long as it's parked up in, in, in a garage and not out in the public uh, street, you can put a sign on your car just saying, you know, this is for sale, contact me. Um, I, I would also put it on your, your social media. Um, and then finally, the usual suspects, so get it out there on um, Doobie Cars, Yala Motor, DeBizzle, uh, and if you want a managed service, something like Car Switch or, or handle everything for you. So, um, but to get the best value, you must start friends, family, where you live, and social media. Yeah. Always reliable advice. Uh, we've got Andre on the line. Andre, you've got a car that I think you'll sell in about five seconds. It's a car that everyone seems to like around here. Tell us about it. Yeah, how's it, guys? Um, it's a Prado, a 2012 Prado, 200,000 on the clock, uh, agency maintained, just runs and runs. Uh, Three-door five-door? Uh, five-door. Matthew, what are you thinking? One more question, four-cylinder or six-cylinder? <laughs> of course. Uh, six, six-cylinder, yeah. Oh, okay, so the four-liter V6, yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- this, uh, very desirable. The fact that you've maintained it for nearly 10 years at the agency, that's yeah. got to be uh, a, a massive selling feature, and please promote the car with that as an opening. Um, value, 65000 mm. to seventy. Um, and, and if you were thinking less, don't give it away for less. You'll have lots of traders and dealers and freelancers, everybody jumping onto this car because it doesn't only sell well here, it sells well export as well. 
So, so bear in mind that, that this car will sell for that kind of value and you will get that kind of value. Nice. Uh, last question then. Um, so the replacement, Alfa Romeo. Oh, Damien, no. <laughs> I'm staying so I, away. I, I'm calling the Fifth I, Amendment. I was going to do that as well. Um, look, uh, it's, it's, you're having, you're having a midlife crisis? I mean, <laughs> no, you know, so you, you're probably right. Um, the first car I ever owned was a 1750 Berliner many, many years ago. Uh, we, should, oh, we should do coffee. Yeah. We should do coffee, uh, Andre. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, this is going down for the coffee. And the uh, we're going to go and see the uh, Jensen Interceptor, but yeah, look, if you've got an itch, scratch it. That's yeah. that's the the, yeah. the way that I'm going to address this. Yeah, yeah scratch that itch, yeah. get it out of your system. Thank. So the Julia is a good buy. If you if your heart ah. says yes, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Andre. We're, we're, we're going to keep moving. Thanks very much for, for calling. We've got one more quick call, uh, time for a quick call on the, on the line is Talal. And, uh, Talal, you have a Porsche 911 9912 PDK. Tell us more about it. Yeah. Uh, hello. Uh, good morning. Uh, the, uh, morning. Very quickly. We're, we're, we're quickly running out of time. So let, let us know what, what you've got and, uh, and what, what you're looking for. Okay, I don't know what's the value. It has 35 kilometers, uh, warranty, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, silver, St- uh, leather, red, le- red leather inside, red leather. And it's 2017. Standard Carrera, standard Carrera or Carrera S? Yeah, standard or? Carrera. Yeah, yeah, uh, 991.2 standard. Yeah, the 17 is the point two. Yeah, with those type of kilometers, you're probably around 330, 340, 330 to 340 thousand dirhams. Okay. How okay. does that sound? Thank you very much, guys. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks very much, Talal. All right, Matthew, it's, uh, it's time now. We're getting to that point of the day. It's uh, time for the speed quote. And uh, your, your record is seven. Do you think you can, you can top that today? Yeah, I, I, I do. And this always wakes me up. You know, this is why when people see me around midday on a Saturday, I'm always wired. So um, let's do this, Damien. Right. Okay. Let's get this. Let's get, let's get the clock set up, and uh, your time starts n- now. It is a Mitsubishi Lancer EXGLS 2017 Silver, seventy-eight thousand kilometers. Oh, it'll sell quickly. Twenty-eight k. A 2019 Toyota Camry White, ninety-five thousand and eighty kilometers. Uh, if it's mid-option, uh, it's under hundred k. About seventy thousand. Oh, yeah. 2014 Hyundai Sentinel, silver, 105,000 kilometers. Oh, the inspiration for the Genesis line. I, I would say about 40k for that car. Still nice. Oh, okay. 2019 Renault Colios SE, four-wheel drive, blue, 55,000 kilometers. Families love them. That will sell for about 60k. And another Prado, 2018 Land Cruiser Prado, VXR white, 102,000 kilometers. Oh, at least 130k. 2019 Toyota Previa SE Black, 38,000 kilometres. That would be about 100k, that car now. 2017 Toyota Land Cruiser EXR Black, 107,000 kilometres. If it's the EXR, about 150. I'm getting the the nod from from the producer. That's that's the number seven. You've equaled it. 
Ah, that's a good effort, Damien, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely. Sensational effort. Um, yep, we've, uh, they're, they're coming through thick and fast, that's for sure. Uh, seven's not bad out there. Yeah. Um, less, less, I think eight is, is the holy grail for this show. If we can get that in the coming weeks, I'll be happy with that. Brilliant. Well, uh, thanks very much again. And uh, you're about to take the cars out for a bit of a blast through the hills again. Yeah, uh, supercars back to Dubai, uh, supercar Majlis, we're, we're finishing up here and we'll be driving back this afternoon. Um, this coming week, my car's got to go back to um, AMCC. I'm having the PPF completed, so I should have done this when I first got the car. It's a cardinal sin, but anybody that buys new cars, they put this pain protection film over it and now it, it self-heals and stuff, so... You can keep your paintwork, particularly on higher value cars, pretty much like new. So, Brilliant. yeah, back to uh, Auto Mystique to have the PPF this week. That's my project. Brilliant. Thanks very much, uh, Matthew Davison from Algo Driven. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Next up, we have Imtis Angiato, who's going to discuss the Ford Bronco and the classics that deserve a revival. Which old classic would you like to see remade as a new car? This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Motormania. Now shut up and drive On Dubai I 103.8 Yes, this is Motor Mania with you Roll the way through to, uh, to, to 12 noon today And we've now got uh, time for some motoring news With Intheshan Giado uh, Intheshan, welcome back Oh, hang on Be back, Damien How are you doing? <laughs> good, good I've just got you on the fader there uh, Yes, yeah, all, all very good Um I want to get straight into a car that we discussed last time around, and it was, and I've had the chance to get my hands on it and uh, give it a give it a bit of a run for the last few days. That is the Ford Bronco. Now, this was obviously first made in the 1960s. Um, they stopped production of it for a while there, but now it's back, and it's really kicking this 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 retro vibe back in. And, and it's a question I'm asking everyone out there too: Which old classic would you like to see remade as a new car? And you can get in touch with us, of course, on four double zero one or via the ARN Play app or give us a call on 8715500 if you uh, if you have any ideas. Um, before we get into that, Ian Shen, what's what what cars would you like to see being remade? Well, I mean, there's a lot of cars I want to see, but most of them are getting remade, like the Broncos. So I'm quite happy to see all of them coming back. I think there's only one car that I really would like to see a comeback, and it's very typically me, uh, the Citroen DS. Remember <laughs> yes. that? Yes, yes. From the 60s, 50s or 60s? I'm not exactly sure. Was it the 60s? Early 1960s, yes, I yeah. believe. And that went on till the late 70s, didn't it? Uh, it went because it, it, it took about mid-70s, and then it became the CX, the Palace, um, was the yes. one that took over. Um, Not quite the same as the CX, but the DS is beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful car. Very, very innovative for its time. But in a fairly positive note, I want to say I think it has been remade, if you ask me. And it's going to be a very unusual thing. I think the Lucid Air, which is an electric car coming out, is the closest yeah. we're going to get to a modern DS. And it's incredibly innovative and just absolutely stunning to look at in a kind of a very low-key, elegant way. I mean, there's a few really nice ones. I mean, the Nissan obviously bringing the, the Z, the, the, the traditional shape Z back with the 400 Z. Uh, as, we, as we said, we've got the Bronco. We've had the Beetle Mustang Camaro now going back for way back. Way back. But there's some of the concepts um, that didn't make it, such as, for me, the Lamborghini Mirror, I'm glad stayed as a concept because it spoils it, my memory of, of that car. And likewise, too, recently Lamborghini showed the Contage and I, I really hope it doesn't come back because I, as much as I'll appreciate it, I like to look at it as more of a work of art, as a one-off, and let's not put that car back into production. They had their time. That's, an, that's the other side of my brain with when it comes to these resto mod kind of cars. 
unfortunately, the very much the Kuntash is coming back, and yeah. I'm quite sad to see that. Like you, for the same reasons, I think the Kuntash should have been a car state in the 80s, and nothing about it can possibly translate to today's day. Plus, I don't think the design is one of their most successful efforts from Lamborghini, to be honest. Um, we'll talk about something else and the same thing. I want to see come by that never actually happened was the uh, Dodge Copperhead, which was a concept from the late 1990s. Ah, yeah. Great, great looking car. A small Chrysler Dodge, basically, sports car. And I think there's room in the market for that. Something bigger than a Miata MX-5, closer to the Z, closer to these kind of BMW Z4 kind of sports cars for the young, upwardly mobile professional. Why aren't their cars being made like that? Answer, because they're not very profitable over the long run. Um, They're expensive to make. Uh, Only sell for a few years. And then the companies want to move on to something else where they get a much more profitable SUV or EV. But I think it would be nice to have a sports car, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's what, what Ford is hoping that this will certainly be profitable, the Bronco. Uh, the, now, the car I drove was the Wild Track version. It's 2.7 litre V6 turbo, 10 speed auto. Let's get the numbers out of the way 330 brake horsepower, 563 newton metres. Now, it's, there are four models in the range, as you pointed out last time. We have the, the entry model is the Big Bend, and that starts at just over 183,000 dirhams. Then there's the Outer Banks. These are very American generic names. And then there's the Wild Track, which is the one that I drove. Now, that was 253,000 dirhams. And then there's the Badlands on top of that. Now, those four models you can get as either a two-door or a four-door. I had the two-door one. I also had the 35-inch Goodyear muddy tires on the 17-inch rims. Um, and the uh, the doors, the three-piece roof can be removed in under an hour. So it's not a th- something you can do at the traffic lights. You need to plan and do that. There are tools supplied with it. Uh, but the few things that I really like about it, though, Shan, is that it's, it, it, it really does have that hose-out ability if you want to take it off-road. The, the, 90% of the buttons are waterproof. I'm not sure I'd want to spray the TFT screen and, and some of the rotary controls. 10% is what worries you, isn't it? Exactly. Um, but but the, the window buttons, all the steering wheel buttons, they're under like a, a rubber membrane, so you know they work like that. And the other thing that I think is really good is that there's a, a gadget mounting bar on the dash, so you can fix your GoPro, your, GoPro, your GPS navigation, your phone, without putting suction cups onto the windscreen, etc. Um, the that's all there. So there's a few things there. There's a V8 that they won't confirm it, but we've all seen it in testing and it's going to be badged as the Raptor. We all know that. So, you know, they haven't announced it yet. Um, you know, I disagree on that front. I don't think there's going to be a V8. Really? I, my sources tell me it's going to be the Raptors V6, the previous gen, oh, or the current gen, actually. Okay. They're a 3.5 downsized. That'll fit. In the 2.7 pitch, the 3.5 will fit. I think Ford is committed to getting rid of V8, so I don't think it's going to happen. It might happen as a limited edition, blah, 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 super expensive. Well, there you go. Oh. You heard it here first. Um, I haven't yeah. heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, what? I, I, okay, obviously you're going to compare it against the Jeep Wrangler is is its is its primary competitor, and straight away what I what I noticed is um, more feel through the steering than the than the Wrangler. Um, this the, the the power assisted rack and pinion, uh, it, it sat on the road more accurate and a better weight to the to to the steering than than I noticed in the Wrangler, particularly as the speeds get up there. And if we talk about speeds getting up there, the other issues that, that, that sort of piqued my interest is the noise in the cabin. You've got tyre noise and you've got wind noise. Now, that three-piece roof comes at a price. 
because it sounds like you've got a back window open or or even a door that's not quite shut. Really, properly. on a brand new car. Well, you know, anything over say 130 you know? kilometers per hour, yeah, it yeah. starts to get there, and the tire noise adds to that as well. Again, those massive 35 inch, you know, you're not going to get the away price with of it. entry though, isn't there? With these off road cars, they're expecting them to be not as quiet as Huster's S Class. You know? Well, this is the this is the thing, isn't it? If you want a quiet car, buy a Hyundai Genesis or an S Class or something like that. If you want a car that can go off road and do everything. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And so- Bronco is an exciting, interesting rival. It's going to be the, basically the Mustang Camaro all over again, isn't it? A huge punch up between the two of them for the next five or 10 years. And that's great. However, I think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. And the Bronco is great. I agree with you on all points. Stylish, better to drive. Even without driving, I don't think it's going to be better than drive. But there are a couple of places where they could have absolutely knocked out the Wrangler and Ford didn't, which is quite surprising because you talk about tire and wind noise, those have been the two top two things to sort out in an all-new clean sheet car. Yeah. That's surprising they didn't get that completely right. But I'm sure, of course, everything will get sorted out. They've announced that there's going to be a midlife update already in 24. So yeah. they are really pushing along with upgrades. It's going to be a very different car in two years. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's been a busy week out there because the other car I had a look at, which you've touched on as well, is the it was the world reveal the other night of the uh, the new Lexus LX600 it's based on the on the new LC300 Toyota Land Cruiser the two that we had on show on display the other day here in Dubai it had its world reveal in 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 uh, Saudi and then it was in Dubai the next morning two of only four in existence it's the first full LX change in 14 years um there's a seven-seat model that will come later, but the cars they showed was the F-Sport, which is a five-seat, and that's the sportier version. And then there's the VIP. That's the model name, and it's a four-seat only with a um, – I think it's becoming a controversial grill. What do you think? The big silver. Ah, that grill, <laughs> that grill. I want to say only nice things, and I'm going to try to say it's extremely distinctive. Okay, let me look at it purely from the point of view of an off-roader. The grill is not helpful. Because off-road, with a normal grill or a normal bumper body grill combo, you can basically um, remove the lower bit, attach a sort of off-road friendly bumper and off you go. Or you can trim a little bit of bumper. But with this grill, because it's such an instinctive, distinctive part of the styling, you can't really cut away at it, can you? I think, And then, of course, you talk about safety and so on. You have to be aware of all those things. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably see perhaps some of them being optioned up with the F-Sport grill or the grill on what we're going to see later on in the seven-seater in there. But to, to give it to you, and it's still – it's a full ladder frame chassis, but they've added the air suspension to it. And I, and I was thinking at the time, I can only think of the G-Class AMG that, that has that combination – um, the V8 Air suspension, been... yeah, I think it's only that. I mean, Tahoe's and Suburban's also full leather frame chassis, but they're on those magnetic shocks. And I think exactly. Air, so they might, they don't have triple lockers like these cars do. Exactly, yeah. Um, like like the LC300 Land Cruiser, the V8 has been replaced with the twin turbo V6, 409 horsepower, 650 newton meters at just 1800 RPM. It loses 200 kilos, and straight away you notice it when you lift the hood. You can lift it with, with virtually one finger, alloy panels. Um, and also, what I like about this one compared to the previous LX is it has bespoke sheet metal around the rear. So it takes it away from that sort of rebadged Land Cruiser kind of stigma that previous ones have had. So you've got a distinctive D-pillar sixth window line, roof line, and it's allowed them to put the full width Lexus family taillights across the back as well. That's one of the weaknesses of the 300 Land Cruiser. One of the few weaknesses, one might say, that the rear styling is a little bit, how the words, what's the word I'm going to use? Dumpy. <laughs> but when you have the Lexus version that immediately sorts it out, it makes it much, much more graceful and elegant. But I think the 300, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's going to sell. And I think it's good enough. It's just like they weren't quite sure. They just kind of put a straight line. Okay, we're done. 
and I've moved on to the next They will sell regardless as it's already been proven. You oh. cannot buy one for love nor money here or in my home country in Australia either. They're gone. Um, but this one too, the rear VIP seat, VIP seats, it's a two-seater in the back and they uh, recline heavily. Now, that eats into your cargo space when you decide to recline, of course. But it really does make it a prop... Uh, it, it moves it up to another level in terms of luxury for, for SUVs. Yeah, it does. I mean, in the past, you could say, why would I buy the LX? You know, the Land Cruiser is so good. The top-spec Land Cruisers are pretty close to the same spec. But now I think the styling has been differentiated enough. I think that there's enough of a thing to go, okay, Lexus has its own cachet, etc. I'm not quite sure it's a rival for the new Range Rover, which is about to imminently drop. That is the big question because at yeah. the same price tag, you're talking Range Rover, you're talking G63, uh, Mercedes, G-Class. Will it be able to go up against those ground-up luxury in their bones rivals when bases are basically at heart a rough and tough off-roader with incredible sort of all-weather capabilities? What do you think, David? That's the thing, and we're going to see the new Range Rover. Yeah, is literally just just around the corner. Um, so we're going to see. Uh, yeah, for sure, there's going to be some 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 serious competition against uh, the, the Lexus when it comes back. Uh, but we're going to continue this conversation because there's still a lot more, and a lot of people are asking about this new uh, this new. Lexus, uh, but we've got a lot more coming up too. So uh, stick around at the Shan. We've got a lot more coming up on Motor Mania. You're listening to us now on Dubai 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motor Mania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, it's uh, Damien Reed with you through until midday. This is Motor Mania, and we've got Intershan Giado on the line. Uh, Intershan, we were just talking about the Lexus LX600 before. Let's stick with the Toyota theme. Um, another car that would potentially maybe coming here, maybe not, the big Toyota Tundra pickup. Uh, what, have, what have you heard about this? Uh, I'll tell you what I think is the absolute gospel truth. and Unfortunately, I have no official source to confirm it because, let's be honest, they're not going to. But I'm almost 99% certain the Tundra is coming to the UAE wow. and coming soon, I would say, even by December. Wow, really? Okay. Now, this is a car that's not really exported. It's a domestic model. It's made in the US. Um, for those who aren't aware, it's kind of think, of think of the Ford F-Series pickup kind of things, V8 um, pickup truck that's made for the American market. But as we've seen, the market has spoken here because there's plenty on the grey market here. So, uh uh, to see, uh, it's always been demand for the Tundra, always been demand. And if you go out to the outer Emirates, you'll see Tundras working hard, export, sorry, well, grey import Tundras absolutely working their socks off. The thing is, of course, the car was never certified for the Middle East. And that's kind of an amorphous declaration, but it's the truth. The car wasn't homologated for the specs and for the heat and so on. And the car's testament to their ability quality that they ended up working pretty well as grey imports with not too many issues. But now the Tundra is coming here for real. It's just been shown off in the U.S. Lots of trims, lots of options. Uh, there's TRD Pro off-road versions. There's hardworking limited SR5 trucks. Basically, Toyota needs a rival to go up against the all-conquering F-150, the all-top-selling Silverado and uh, GMC uh, Yukon, not Yukon, uh, the, sorry, Sierra. The Sierra. The Sierra trucks, of course. There's so many uh, American trucks. Yeah. And not to mention the Ram, which is one of my favorite of the lot, actually, is the, is the Ram 1500. Of course. So Toyota think it's time to come in and throw their hat into the ring. Of course. And the Tundra, a very popular car in the States. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's run for many, many years in the Craftsman Truck Series in NASCAR, so it has a big following in the heartland. And, uh, and they're selling by big numbers, so you can get all sorts of TRD kits as well for them. I think it would actually work 
work really well here if it was, you know, came through the full dealer support and warranty and all the things you get from a manufacturer. So what's the interesting part about this whole decision during the tundra here, which I should state, I should state officially is not confirmed. This is mm. speculation on my part, but it's very informed speculation. So the thing is, I've heard that it was a choice between the Tundra and the Tacoma mid-size pickup truck. Ah, okay. And I think they have chosen the Tundra because there's more profit in it, obviously. There's a, it's a bigger, more capable vehicle, whereas the Tacoma is kind of a harder sell, weirdly. Even though it's a lot cheaper, it's a lot smaller, a lot more nimble. I personally would opt for a Tacoma because it suits my yeah. needs. But I think a lot of people want a big, flashy pickup truck. It's not something that you'd ever buy, though, is it, David? No, I tell you, no. I just drove the the F one fifty a few weeks ago, and I really did enjoy it, the hybrid model, and and I, I yeah, I secretly liked it. So you know, yeah, I, I like it. But the thing is, is as you say, with the Tacoma. Um, they're kind of these big pickup trucks. We're so used to them with, as you say, with with the the uh, the Sierra, the F series, that style of thing. But we don't see too many mid-sized pickups around here. As you say, with the with the Toyota, the Ford Maverick is another example. Um, do you think that with more urbanisation now in the region, that there might actually be a market now for the smaller size pickups? Well, it all comes down to two things, as you say. It comes down to marketing, obviously creating a brand image for the vehicle. It comes down to the need of the customers. So right now, customers are getting out of their cars. I think four-door saloons, stands, whatever you call them, are basically on their way out. And it's all SUVs, all crossovers all the time. Now, as more and more people have that, I think people are going to start to look for something different. Like, why are people buying Ford Rangers or why are they buying Hilux Adventures? Is because they're kind of bored of being in a... Prado or you're being in some sort of mid-sized German Q5 or whatever, they want something more fun. So I think a lot of people are going to move on from that into these adventure pickup trucks like the Tacoma and so on. However, these cars need to prove themselves and be car-like to drive as safe as those cars, have all the gadgets and gizmos, be capable off-road and also fuel economical. So it's kind of all to do in a package that, by the way, can't cost that much. Whereas with full-size pickup trucks, you can kind of charge whatever you want for them. The average transaction price of a full-size pickup truck here, you're looking around 250,000 dirhams. Yeah. So with that kind of money, you can afford to get all the gadgets and gizmos. Nobody wants a stripper pickup truck. In the U.S., you can get a work truck, and they sell in huge numbers because those cars work. Out here, it is a pure lifestyle luxury play, and those trucks do very well. Witness the success of the Silverado and the Sierra. Yeah, but they're absolutely. all fully loaded, big engines, all the gadgets, leather lashings everywhere. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now let's go right to the other end of the uh, of, of the automotive spectrum here. Uh, I got my hands on another vehicle this week, completely opposite to what we've just been talking about. That and that is because we are going all electric in the in the region in the UAE, and it's the Volkswagen ID. Four. Now this is a car that has just won the World Car of the Year, and uh, it's uh, VW's all electric car. It's the second model in the ID series. Of course, they had the the ID. Three, and there's another one coming. You can imagine what. That that's going to be called the ID5, of course. And there's one here at the moment doing doing some testing, some Middle East-specific testing for, for, for hot weather, humid weather, and sand and dust ceiling. So managed to to get my hands on it this week. And uh, we spoke to uh, Victor Dalmau, the, the managing director of, of Volkswagen here Middle East, and he said that the plan is to sell the car here, um, probably not for another two years or thereabouts um, because there's a few things there. One is the infrastructure has to be sufficient and there also has to be a customer mindset that, that wants this type of car um, for customers to be convinced that an electric vehicle is an option for them. Um, I, dri- I, I, I didn't get to drive it because it's it was a car specifically for the engineers and Victor was the only man allowed to drive the car. So I went for a run in it and I have to say 
it ticks all the boxes, but a very valid point, and this is something we discussed before, is that it's not going to suit a lot of places the way things are right now in terms of where you're going to find a place to charge it. Well, I want to mention the R word. What's the range on this? So it's a 77 kilowatt hour battery. There's a 50 kilowatt hour, but I think we'll probably get the 77 kilowatt hour battery here. And to be fair, for a car like this, it's kind of like I, I said to, to Victor, this is this would then would be like the new the new Golf because the Golf was the new Beetle in terms of big landmark cars for Volkswagen. And he said, no, it's more like the Tiguan in terms of its size and that sort of thing. But it's it's a it's an urban commuter, so range is not really the it's not the car you're going to take for for thousands of kilometres. So they're saying uh, around about three hundred and fifty to four hundred kilometres out of the seventy seven kilowatt hour battery. It's to be honest, it's the sort of car that you would take the kids to play football in and do the shopping and go to the office and back and and if you lived in an urban environment, plug it in you know every, whenever you get home anyway. So. I'd, uh, I'm not sure range is going to be the, a really big issue for this one, but but for the record, yeah, as a 77 kilowatt hour battery, 350 to 400 kilometres according to VW. So that's an interesting amount of range. I, I like the line that VW uses, which is a car for the millions, not the millionaires. <laughs> I think the range is not going to be the issue here, uh, although it, it, people always ask about it. The thing is, when you're dealing with a car that's 500, 600,000 dirhams, like a Tesla, etc., or one of these new Rivians or Lucids or all these Alphabet Super brands coming out of the woodwork, the electric F-150, it's much, much easier to sell a very expensive car that's not entirely finished or somewhat half-baked to a millionaire because they're going to go off the whole cachet of having the first electric car. Remember, they've done their share of V63s and Range Rovers. They're just looking for something different. They're just looking not to be bored. So yeah. They're looking for something that they can show off lightning fast, well done F-150, and also has a reasonable range because they can charge it at home because they've got houses or properties yeah. or offices where they can charge. Now, when you're talking about a mass market car, VW has an incredibly difficult job, don't you think? Because they have to then deal with customers who have babies, who have strollers, yeah. who have stuff that they need to put in their car, soccer gear, you know, IKEA. Uh, cupboards, which are always the most unwieldy shapes. And then off all of that, once again, they need to be affordable. They need to yeah. not break. They need to survive pranks every day in the car park. And they need to have a million kilometer range, Absolutely. even though you might never use it. So it's a much tougher job. To well, I, to be honest, I think the, the the range discussion is going to start dissipating in time as people learn to live with, with more EVs. Obviously, it's a natural question you ask when it's a new, when it's a new product. But how often do we go and, and purchase a, a combustion engine car and say, how big is a fuel tank? Oh, it's 70 litres, it's 90 litres. How many kilometres can never. I get? At? Can I get 1,000 kilometres? Can I get 1,200? Even though you know that part of your weekly routine is when you finish work on a Thursday afternoon, you're going to call in and top her up for the, for the weekend. Then you might top it up on Tuesday after the, after the weekend anyway. And, uh, and, and rarely do we ask that question about combustion engines, and yet it's the number one question we ask about EVs. I think if I'm being putting my psychologist hat on, I think people are looking for reasons to slate these cars because they are so complete now. They're not the EVs of 10 years ago or 15 years ago. These are actually real working cars properly put together. Yeah. And people are still thinking in terms of, okay, how can we knock this car back? But actually, I agree with you 100%. For petrol cars, you don't worry. What did you know why? Because you have infrastructure. Now, I have to give Deva a big shout out. They and all the local authorities as well for putting all the charging points that they have. It's still a work in progress. Yep. It's still happening very quickly. But this discussion, it won't matter if your car is 50 kilometers no. a range or 500 kilometers. When no. you can plug it in everywhere you stop, it's not an issue. Absolutely. That's coming. Well, 
we've got to wrap up there with that. That's that's flying by. Um, <laughs> so yeah. thanks very much, Shan. We'll catch you next time on Motormania. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be back after this break with uh, some information about the first Grand Prix in the UAE. It was not in Abu Dhabi, and we're going to celebrate its 40th anniversary in just a few, few moments' time. This is Motormania Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, I'm Damien Ridd, and this is Motormania. We're with you right through till midday. Now, listen, not many people know that Dubai even had a Grand Prix long before Abu Dhabi, though it wasn't part of the World Championship. It was exactly 40 years ago, and the exciting news is that this event is going to be relived very, very soon. Now, I'm joined now on the line on Microsoft Teams by the Senior Manager of Commercial and Partnerships at the Dubai Autodrome Circuit. It's a good morning to you, Bert Groger. Good morning, Damien. How are you doing? Very good, very good, thanks. And I have to say, I am super excited with this one. 40 years ago, since we had the Grand Prix of Dubai, um, not many people know about the Grand Prix of Dubai. Tell us a little bit about this event. It happened in 1981. Yes, uh, 1981, one year before I was born, so I wasn't there. But uh, it was also, yes, it wasn't part of the championship, you are correct, but it was special in its own rights. Um, so uh, what was special about that particular event and why our current event is special is in 1981, it was held on the UAE's 10th year anniversary of unity and the patronage of his late, his highness, uh, Sheikh Rashid. Um, so back then they had featured demonstration, which we now call exhibition races with Formula One cars, Group C cars. And at that time, they also had a celebrity race involving road going Citroen CXs, which essentially is a bunch of uh, Formula <laughs> One drivers and famous racing drivers racing road going cars around the racetrack. Um, so that uh, looking at the video was uh, was quite a sight. Yeah, some fantastic um, names, wasn't there? I mean, there was Sterling Moss, uh, even the great Fangio, Sir Jack Brabham. Um, so many names racing in these uh, production Citroens. Exactly. Yeah, Sterling Moss, Jack Brabham, John Surtees, uh, and obviously Fangio. Who I think was uh, seventy or eighty at that time when the race was held. Um, so it was fantastic to have uh, those uh, those drivers with us in the UAE, you know, well before we even had Formula One in the region. Yeah, and uh, and some amazing cars that, that came out that raced at Le Mans, raced at various things. So so what can we expect to see from the, this 40th anniversary Dubai Grand Prix? Now, obviously, that, that back in the day in 81 was on a street circuit up near the creek area. This, of course, at the fantastic Dubai Autodrome. Um, what can we look forward to? Yeah, so just touching on the, the, the last event before we jump into the new one, um, it's, it's quite funny because not many people know that the uh, Dubai's Corniche was built, um, you know, on top of a racetrack <laughs> and where those names were racing. So uh, I, I highly doubt that people actually know that. So next time they're on the road there, uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be nice to know that, you know, that they're racing on some famous tarmac. I think if you're going um, under Shindaga to... Tunnel, you'd probably come out underneath the pits area, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah exactly um so yes yeah, so why is this race unique okay so as i touched on before with uh, the uae's anniversary this is going to be the big 50th year anniversary of unity you know which is really the overarching theme for the whole event um and why uh, the other specific um usp let's say uh, for this particular event is the general admission ticket holders get full access to the paddock and they get to go up close and personal to the cars to the drivers, they can smell the fumes. They can they get like a sensory overload of these uh, 
mammoth, historic, expensive cars uh, in the pits, in the flesh, uh, and not just sitting from a grandstand watching from afar. Um, in addition to that, uh, we're going to flip things around. So historically, you know, as you know, Damien, when cars leave the pit garages, they enter the pit lane and they head off the track and you don't see them uh, you know, until they're back. Uh, but this time we're going to flip them around to face the paddock. So when it's time for the cars to exit to go to grid, they will be going through the paddock, through the crowd, past one of our stages where the music will be playing. Um, and we'll have a commentator announcing the car, announcing the driver, giving a bit of background history for the fans and the spectators that will be there. That is and that amazing. Is all, yeah, that's all general admission tickets, of course. Um, so this is really the overarching theme. It's, uh, we believe it's the theme for the United Arab Emirates. It's the theme for Dubai Autodrome uh, and really for the drivers that are coming here from Europe as well. That is amazing. That that just gives me goosebumps to think that you can be that close. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, of the, the, the Le Mans parade of cars when they go through the old town of Le Mans where you actually get to see the cars and, and get so close to them as they, as they you know, motor past. Um, tell us about some of the star cars. Now, these, these are not... You know, these are not replicas. These are not things that are made up. These are genuine ex-Formula One and sports cars, I believe. Yeah, so um, so obviously entry list is still open. So we're still seeing an influx of, uh, of competitors and teams uh, coming in. Uh, I, will, I will list them uh, as we go. And if you want to deep dive into any one of them, just stop me and then I'll give you a bit more information. <laughs> sure. On them, which I'm, I'm sure we can, uh, we can spend all day talking about them. Uh, but essentially, at the moment, the entry list, uh, I'll run through a few of them, is the BMW March, which is uh, the 1986 Group C Le Mans car. Uh, we've got the Mackie F101 from 1973, again, the historic Formula One car. We have the Rondeau M8, M382 from uh, 1982, which is the Group C. Uh, we've got the famous Porsche 962, uh, again, the Group C Le Mans. Wow. Okay. Uh, all, the, all the way from uh, the UK this time, we have the Total 007. Really, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's so, uh, impressive, yeah. Yeah, now, and then the, obviously, and also James Hunt's Hesketh uh, 308B, uh, which I'm sure will gain quite a bit of attraction. Phenomenal, that's the car that he, he began his Formula One career, career in before he was uh, spotted by, uh, by the guys at, at McLaren, so a very, yeah. very historic car. Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, James Hunt, you know, the head of game, James Hunt, his first World Championship Grand Prix in uh, 1975 in the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, so, like I said, these cars are, uh, let's say, invaluable, you know, and the way that these particular races work is if these cars do well, like they, these cars race in Monaco as well, in the historic Formula One in Monaco, and if a car is on pole position or tends to win, the value of the car dramatically shoots up, you know, so... Um, it's it's a race that uh, people won't necessarily hold back on. They want to see the cars do well. I remember speaking to to an owner of one of these classic Formula One cars some years ago, and he used to have modern uh, race cars. and he, and And I said, "Why did you Why did you flip?" And he says, "Well, because when you have a modern race car and you and you crash it and do whatever, it's worth half the value. When you have a historic one and you do okay, it's double the value." <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. It's strange. It's strange, counterintuitive, right? But yeah, it's strange. So. Um, I assume that quite a lot of these vehicles and, and as well as the crew that are coming with it are coming in from, from outside. Are there any that are actually la- based locally, hiding in garages and underground dugouts somewhere in, in the UAE? Hmm. Uh, great question. Um, so the, the promoter of the, of the events who are bringing all the cars down is uh, Gulf Historic. And Gulf Historic, you know, they, they hold races throughout uh, Europe. 
Um, they've held a race in Abu Dhabi, um, and uh, this time they're hosting the race here, which is we are we are linking and we're bringing this event in partnership with them. Um, so Gulf Historic, uh, primarily, they're actually based in Dubai Autodrome Business Park, you know, in unit number four. And if you, I can say, if you ever have time, uh, take a walk into their units. It is like the ultimate man cave. You have Formula One cars stretching from, like, say, the 60s all the way to, you know, five-year-old Formula One cars. It's like a like a toy, you know, for 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 uh, for adults, <laughs> for motorsport nuts. Uh, it's fantastic. So they are the ones bringing the cars out and working with the drivers and the teams. A few of those cars are already here with a few local drivers, uh, which uh, we can name in the weeks coming up. Um, but majority of the other ones, they will be coming from France, with the exception of the Tyrrell, which will be from the UK. Unbelievable. Uh, this is going to be absolutely head-spinning stuff. Um, now, aside from, from that on-track action that you were talking about, what, what else is there to do around the autodrome for, for the family? You want to bring the kids out, uh, the husband and wife, who, who maybe are not into, into motor racing. What, what else is out there for the family on the weekend? Right, so we're actually going all out. Um, our goal for this event is to entertain on-track and off-track. So keeping to the historic theme, we've encouraged all the organisers, the spectators, um, to dress in a theme of the 60s, 70s and 80s. So whether that's a small little top cap uh, to people going all out in costumes, uh, we, we're encouraging that from the, obviously, the, uh, the local Emirati side. We'll have the Emirati Heritage Tent where um, we're going to be dressed in the appropriate traditional attire, but back in the, from the 60s and 70s. Um, we're going to have uh, music from Bullfunk Jam's crew who will be providing music throughout the day. Um, not just music, but they will be also announcing the podium winners on stage. So we're flipping that something different than your traditional podium. Um, for the kids, we have got, uh, they actually will have the opportunity to paint one of our uh, race cars that we have at the racetracks. We have a little Clio Cup that races, uh, you know, throughout the year. And the kids will, will be giving a paintbrush and they can just splash paint on this car, go crazy. Uh, and we will use that car in situ uh, while they race around with the splattered paint from the kids. Uh, we'll have kids' pedal cards, arts and crafts. We obviously, uh, since it's classic, we're going to have over 200 classic cars descending onto the racetrack uh, who will enjoy a parade lap, a classic parade lap. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, exactly. And then also we're going to have your ultra-rare classic cars. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the Ferrari Daytonas, um, your your Jag HJ220s, you know, so uh, it's really going to be fantastic through, Brilliant. throughout. And you can spend the whole day there. Brilliant. I'll tell you what, looking forward to it. It's uh, it's all happening on December 3 down at the Dubai Autodrome. Uh, Bert Greger, Senior Manager, Commercial Partnerships, Dubai Autodrome, thanks very much. And uh, I'll see you down there on December 3. Great, Damon. Look forward to it. Great. Thanks very much. You're listening to Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday, and uh, the answers are coming in about what would you like to see brought back as a new vehicle. James DXB says the Monteverdi high speed. Modernise it slightly, but keep the styling. That's uh, that's high style stuff, James. Uh, Vina J Sankar 17 wants the Beetle to come back. A lot of people would agree with that one. Um, I've had Muhammad who said he would like to see the BMW 2002. Uh, 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 another James, he wants the Jaguar XJ6 Coupe to come back. Wouldn't we love to see that? Uh, the Porsche 928 from Adrian. 
wouldn't have, wouldn't uh, disagree with that. And Mohammed, the first generation Celica, Toyota Celica or the Celica, as they say in the United States. So some really interesting ones there. Uh, now we're moving on to. I'll tell you what's been busy out there. Um, the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge is the traditional warm-up to the Dakar. Now, would you like to race in the Dakar or even the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge? Well, the answer might be with South Racing Middle East, and they are based right here in, in Dubai. Uh, I had a chat with, uh, with, with Tom Cowan, the general manager of South Racing Middle East, and I started by asking him, where did South Racing come into the picture and how does it fit into the lead-up to Dakar? We've been very busy over the last six months um, formalising our fleet of T4 vehicles um, which we use for training and, and racing across all around the Middle East essentially. We now find ourselves from September through to April with eight months of, of racing and activation opportunities for, you know, for new and existing drivers of, of all skill levels. Um, you know, we've positioned ourselves here in Dubai as um, this is our headquarters here um, and you know it's, it's perfect positioning for, for training for Dakar. Um, the typical uh, event, ca- event calendar now that we have is, I mean we've got Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge in November, uh, straight after we have Heil Rally and then we of course have Dakar in, uh, in January. Um, following that there's Dubai Baja again, then we have Sharkia Baja, then Jordan Baja, um, so you know we're positioned really, uh, really well for for the predominant, you know, the, the, a huge majority of the FIA season in cross country Bahas and World Cup. So we partnered with South Racing this year. Um, South Racing is uh, they're five times Dakar champions with their their T4 Canams. We formalised this just a couple of months ago, in fact, and, and now have, have, have essentially formed formed an alliance with them to. Um, you know, to uh, to set up the satellite arm, if you will, for the Middle Eastern region. So, our facility here now is a parts distribution hub. It's a service centre. It's a training facility. It's an activation facility, and it's also a manufacturing facility. So, we now have full capability to manufacture um, FIA T4 cams here in house. Which is interesting because you were saying to me before we're out here in Dubai Investment Park and this facility which looks fantastic is it's all under one roof and you're actually the first manufacturer of a Dubai UAE based motorsport vehicle is that correct? That's right yeah absolutely yeah so um, essentially I mean there's there's a lot of uh, things about the T4 that are still can. There's a lot of standard uh, parts and accessories that are still still part of the race car. Um, essentially, with the with the FIA uh, standards, we we would fabricate a homologated FIA roll cage and chassis. Um, obviously, there's various upgrades to the fuel tank, the engine control unit, and um, uh, wheels, tires, and suspension, and all that sort of stuff to to make sure it can attack uh, such races like the Dakar. And really interesting thing that we were just talking about before is a lot of things that are spurring this on is obviously Dakar and Saudi Arabia, mm. but the interest coming from Saudi people to race here and Saudi women taking seem to be taking a keen interest in taking part in motorsport, which is a, a great thing all around. Yeah, I mean, it's been huge this last year. I mean, obviously COVID, there was no racing and no activity anywhere. Um, and all of a sudden, out the back end of that, we're, we're, we're hearing from a lot of local young athletes. Um, we've just sent uh, two young Saudi females, one of which has now just won the World Championship for FIA Cross Country Bajas. Uh, we have another young Saudi lady that will um, be joining our team for Dakar. We now have a portfolio of 16 drivers 
for uh, Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge, which is the biggest entry they've ever had. It's the, also the 30-year anniversary this year, so it's a big event. Uh, we then have the same number for Heil Rally, which is at the start of December, and then we'll be uh, entering 17 cars into the Dakar and, uh, and hopefully keeping that 100% uh, win, uh, finish rate. Um, five or six of those drivers already uh, are Saudi nationals and also UAE nationals and, and really you know, our objective here is to, uh, is to deliver a platform for, for local young athletes that want to learn about the sport, uh, to be able to train in the sport, to have a, you know, a world class support platform and be able to, to, you know, to achieve their dreams. Well, that's fantastic. We, we've got, for instance, examples of Rima Jafali who's racing in circuit racing in, in Europe now, Formula 4, moving into Formula 3, brilliant Saudi female driver, raced here in the UAE in Toyota 86 Cup and then Formula 4 UAE before moving to Europe and, uh, and is really starting to show the way. Now we're seeing other Saudi females coming on board and, and discovering different forms of motorsport, obviously this is a, an amazing one. Dakar is one of the biggest events in the world, world motorsport. Yeah. And you've got 17 cars, did you? 17 vehicles? 17 cars entered for Dakar, yeah, 17. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. I mean, the support crew is, I mean, to, to give you an idea of scale here, we're, we're talking uh, possibly five or six, six by six support trucks that will attend the event, 17 race cars. Around 130 crew members, including engineers, technicians, team manager, um, and uh, you know all, all of the logistics staff that, that will be joining us on the event. So yeah, I mean, it's it's the biggest we've ever done it. Um, the the rebound off the back of Dakar and, and the excitement that's now around the T4 category as a good entry platform to cross country racing is uh, is phenomenal. Mm, and and this is a great thing. T4 uh, is is a great entry level as you say to get yourself involved in in off-road desert racing for the first time with Dakar doesn't cost a huge amount it's a can-am based buggy which for those who aren't aware is probably a little bit like the ones you perhaps rent but highly modified based on those for safety to meet various FIA regulations for roll cages and fuel tanks and that sort of thing so I guess one of the things one of your roles with, with South Racing is with Dakar being what it is, and, uh, and of course Dubai Desert Challenge and other things, is to introduce new people to the sport. How does someone go about if they decide, right, I want to decide to go off-road racing and I have no experience whatsoever, how can I get involved? The same we've done for a lot of our uh, new crews that have come to us. Um, we essentially hold an initial evaluation day, and that's an opportunity for us to uh, to take advantage of our locally our local routes that we've put down. So we we have a series of routes across Dubai and Sharjah um, that we use. And, and the idea of these routes is to give new and inexperienced drivers a feel for what it's like to drive in the sand with a Can-Am, um, and uh, you know really get a taste as to as to as to what it's all about. So it's a one-day evaluation. Um, we then look to develop a training platform for you. So we have um, in-house instructors with us that have competed in over four Dakars, uh, along with a lot of other FIA events around the world. Um, so we basically design an entire training and development program for you, and then uh, structure it into our into our very packed uh, calendar. <laughs> yeah, which is which you were saying. I mean, obviously with. COVID last year, everything was kind of put on hold everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but now it's springing back in a, in a fairly large way. Just give, give us an idea of what your calendar's looking like 
for the, for the winter months coming up? Well, it's, it's packed, Damien. I mean, we have, uh, because we, we, we gathered a lot of traction earlier this year, with uh, specific, especially with our June training. Um, so we had a lot of uh, professional drivers from around the world that came to us to gather some experience for, uh, for the Dakar. And we see a lot of um, I mean, world champions from the South African series over there. You know, great world-class drivers. Uh, drivers off the track, drivers from bikes, uh, but you know zero June experience, um, and the word travelled very well. The fact that there was the world's first June training and practice platform available, and it really is an arrive and drive. It's a fly in with your race suit, and um, you know you're in a controlled and safe environment with the right support behind you, and you have the uh, the opportunity to explore the Arabian deserts with us. Fantastic. So, what are the uh, what are the key dates we're looking for? Dubai Desert Challenge and and the Dakar. When when are they? Yeah. So the next uh, the next um, race in the cross country World Cup is Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge, which will start on the fifth of November until the eleventh. We then have the following race in the cross country World Cup, which is Hail Rally. That will start on the sixth of December. And then we're right through until Dakar, which is early January 3rd, uh, 3rd until the 16th of January. Well, we're going to have a look at the cars in a moment, um, but you've got a busy few months coming up. What's, what's, what's the first thing on your agenda now? Well, we've got a local race this weekend where um, two of our crews, one from Italy, one again from Saudi, will be joining us for a, for a, a local training event that we've got going on. Uh, the following weekend, we're in Lewa setting our pro driver routes, um, basically giving us access to uh, a lot, a lot more challenging routes that we can offer to more professional teams that are looking to practice for Dakar. Uh, we then have racing in South Africa at the end of the month. Then we're straight back and we're into Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge. Uh, we then have more training sessions in between Desert Challenge and Hail, and uh, and then on to on towards Dakar in January. You're a busy man, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Is indeed. That's uh, Tom Cowan, the general manager of South Racing Middle East. And that's about all we've got time for today as well with Motor Media. Another busy show. Thanks to everyone who texted and phoned in to join the chat. Big thanks to Matthew, Imp the Shan Burt, and of course Tom Cowan just there as well. So later on this afternoon at 3 pm, it's uh, another Tom. Uh, but this time it's uh, Tom Urquhart and the guys from the Grill and the return of the Premier League action. Early kickoff is Watford versus Liverpool. Updates will be right throughout the afternoon. Roger Duthie from the Emirates Softball League will also be live after five. And there will also be a review of the IPL final between the Chennai Super Kings and the Kolkata Knight Riders. Plus, we're going to look ahead at the ICC T20 World Cup. And that's it for Motor Mania. I'll see you in two Saturdays' time. That's on the 30th on Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Drive safely.